Good morning, Evangel. I just would like to reiterate that we are not, I repeat, not encouraging you to go find a baby and bring it here to dedicate. <laughs> just want to clarify that. <laughs> what a great day it is. And I just wanted to say to you, you know, it's, I know that the weather's a little bit rainy outside. And my understanding is there's also, I think, four exits closed from the highway to be able to get here this morning. And so if you drove here this morning, I mean, just props to you because I, I think you had to come by way of Quebec City. And so thank you for making the trip and actually getting here. Way to go. I'm very proud of you. This is, this is the morning, uh, the moment in our service when if you have a smartphone or you have a tablet, you want to open up the Evangel app, which you can download from your app store under Evangel Montreal. And it has on there everything that uh, Pastor Tim has just told you and also has our notes for what we're about to jump into in about 30 seconds. And so you can, um, you can follow along and add your own notes if you want to. And so just go ahead and do that. And uh, we're in this series called, What If Jesus Was a Quebecer? And it's going to end next Sunday. Today is the, is the second last day. And so uh, we, we've been, I just want to take a little bit of time and actually review a little bit of where we've come from in this series. Because I went back to the beginning of how we started and I went, oh, I forgot I said that. And if I forgot that I said that, odds are you forgot as well. And we're not just trying to, you know, get to the end as fast as we can. The point is we're trying to, we're trying to build something here. and We're trying to uh, create something and, and put it together and, and really um, absorb what it means to reach our world. And so I just want to take a little bit of time to review this morning where we've been before we jump into today's key for what if Jesus was a Quebecer. And so we started this series, and we have said every single Sunday, and we're going to say it today again, that our purpose, say it with me, is to help people meet Jesus. Okay, do it again. And you all in the back, in the balcony, I'd love to hear you over this crowd down here. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Our purpose is to help people meet Jesus. Well done. And uh, we, we just said that is our purpose. That's why we're here. Our faith is not about us in here. It's not confined to within the walls. It's not, it's not a, a, a selfish, self-involved faith where it's not, it's not so individual that we don't care about anybody else. Our purpose is to help people meet Jesus. And, and Christianity, just, just in, in its entire creation, it's, it's a tremendously selfless faith. It's, it begins with a God who gave himself for us, sacrificed himself for us, and then calls us to become his followers and to do the same, and to go out there and to reach people that Jesus loves so that they can meet God just as we have. And so our faith looks outward at our world, and it looks at the world that we live in and a world that Jesus loves. And we, we just said, you know, it's not an option. It's not a side dish. Well, I'm going to be a Christian, but I'm not really into that piece of it. No, this, this is it. This is our purpose, is to help people meet Jesus. And Jesus himself said that in, in, what, in what we call the Great Commission, and he just called it talking to his disciples. But it's in Matthew 28, and he said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm so glad for that last sentence because that's a big instruction. It's a big direction. Just, you know, go and make disciples. Go and tell others. And by the way, I'm with you. Anybody else glad for that? 
I'm so thankful for that. And so our purpose is to bring Jesus to our world. We do that through our lives. We do that through our energy. We do that through our finances. We do that through how we spend our time. We, choose, we do that through our, our words and our actions and our outreach. And we are called to bring Jesus to our world and to invite people to become passionate followers of Jesus Christ, just like us. And, and, and somebody, you know, the thing is, whether, whether they do or don't make that choice, we, people have free will. You have free will. I have free will. Everybody else has free will. And we don't try to, we don't try to overwhelm that. It's not up to us to compel somebody or to dominate them and try to force them to follow Jesus. But it is up to us to show others who he is and to invite them to have an opportunity to connect with Jesus and to be one of his followers. And so we said that at Evangel, our end game is not to have the the hottest and coolest and most relevant and most exciting church in town that's the biggest and, and just attracts all the Christians in Montreal as if we're some sort of, you know, consumer church and we're competing with all the other churches. That's not our end game. Our end game is to carry Jesus to a world that desperately needs him, to a world that is loved by Jesus. And that means that when we come here every Sunday, we come in here and we gather and we, we are strengthened and we worship together and we, we look at God's word and we pray together. And then we get sent out of here. This is not, this is not the main deal. We, we come here to get re-strengthened and to regroup. And then every single one of us is sent out there to help carry Jesus to our world. And anything less misses the boat. And so we said, uh, I threw this quote up at the beginning of our series by Andrew Walls, who's a missions historian. And he said that the fundamental missionary experience is to live on terms set by others. And that's one of those statements that you got to read it slow. And about the third time you go, oh, okay. The fundamental missionary experience is to live on terms set by others. You can't be a missionary to another culture on your own culture's terms. We can't go and demand that people listen to us if we're not going to listen to them. There's, there's, a, there's a give and take and there's a back and forth. And so to carry Jesus to others and to help other people meet Jesus is to intentionally um, step outside of our comfort zone. And it's to intentionally um, give up, sacrifice our own preferences sometimes, do whatever we need to do, step outside of what's comfortable and into what's comfortable for someone else, live on their terms so that we can help people meet Jesus. And we said that the Apostle Paul did this, and he talked about this in his letter to Corinth. And he said in his letter to Corinth, he said, in, uh, even, though, even though I am a free man with no master... I have become a slave. I'm living on terms set by others. Okay? I am, even though I'm a free man with no master, I've become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. And when I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though, even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. Or when I'm with Quebecers, I live like Quebecers. And, but I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. 
And when I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything, everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. So Paul talks about this, and he still followed God, still was a wholehearted follower of Jesus, didn't compromise on that one bit, but he was learning, and he was working hard to adapt and to find common ground and to shift where he needed to shift and practice that common ground with everyone without compromising his integrity, without backing down on his faith at all, but he did that specifically so that he could help somebody connect with Jesus. It's incredibly purposeful. It's incredibly intentional and, and self-sacrificing. I mean, you just imagine it to go, it, it means setting the Great Commission, setting Jesus' instructions as my life's priority. That's it. Not a side dish, not an option that we could take. Your, that's it. That is my life's priority. I mean, just what a thought. And so every week as we've been going through this series, we, we've been talking about culture and how we respond to it. And we watched a video in the first week by Andy Crouch, and he talked about uh, ways, cultural responses and how churches tend to respond to culture. And he said, often what churches do is they, they, they react to culture and they either criticize it or they consume it. So, so churches tend to either stand back and look at culture and go, oh, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And we're just, oh right? And they just poke holes in it, which means, but they don't offer anything else. They don't offer anything that is criticizing culture. Or churches tend to just jump right in and, and consume it and absorb it. And, and, and all of a sudden, there's no difference now that you can see at all between culture and the church, which means also that the church is not offering anything. They're not bringing anything to culture. And Andy Crouch suggested in that video, he said, you know, churches could, could be more proactive. Instead of just reacting to whatever culture's doing, we could be proactive. And we can create and we can cultivate instead of criticizing and consuming. And so we, we look for the common ground. We look for what's already good, what is already happening that is good, because there's good in every culture. And, and we cultivate that. And we help maintain that. And we help add to the good that is there. And we join in with that and say, isn't that great? And then, but, but every culture also has its gaps. It also has its holes where things aren't quite working or, or there's weaknesses or whatever. And he said, imagine if churches created something to fill those gaps, created something to fill those holes and added something good to the culture that we're in. And so that's kind of how we've been going through this series and trying to find where can we create, where can we cultivate as we interact with this. And so we took this book called Cracking the Quebec Code, and most of you have heard of it by now. And we did order some more this week, and I believe we managed to get three or four more copies, and that's it. So don't run out now. Don't trample each other. But I think there are still a couple copies left at the resource zone. I'm not sure. And then after this, if you don't get them, you're on your own, okay? Just find your own. Go to Amazon. you got to order it yourself. We've sold out three times, so this will probably be the fourth time. But this is, that's the book that we've been using because it describes the culture that we're in here in this province in Quebec. And then we use scripture, and we use Jesus' example, and we use the principles of our faith to interact with that and to respond to it and go, what's good? What's common ground? What can we cultivate? And where are the gaps? What can we create? And so um, we're going we're gonna to just keep moving forward today. 
We're skipping one key because one of the keys that's in this book, Cracking the Quebec Code, it specifically says it's not, it doesn't really apply to Montreal. Montreal's its own thing within Quebec. So I decided not to do that one. And if you have family or friends outside of Montreal, well, you know, you should buy the book and read that chapter. But I'm not going to cover it here, okay? So, so now we're going to move on. I, I want to just review the keys of what we've done so far and our responses, and then we're going to jump into it. So key number one, this was the most fun one. Say it with me. You ready? Joie de vivre. That, that wasn't, I don't feel like you were joie de vivre as you said that. Because we've made that a verb now. That's an evangel thing. And so, so key number one is one, two, three. Joie de vivre, okay? It's a lot of joy. It's a lot of happiness. It's living in the moment, just, just enjoying life. And we said, well, what if Jesus was a Quebecer? How would we respond to that? How would he respond to that? And we said, I think he'd get on board. I think that's common ground. I think that's something that we can, we can cultivate. There's nothing wrong with having joy and laughter and, and joie de vivre and enjoying the life that God has given us. And so we said, you know, be a person that people want to be around, be a person that sinners even like being around. Jesus was a person like that, and so we can be a person like that too. And then the second key that we looked at was easygoing, easygoing and this desire for consensus, that this was another definer of our Quebec culture. And we kind of had two responses to that. We said, well, first of all, there's this idea of, of consensus. Let's just all get along. Let's listen to each other. Let's, let's find out um, what each other thinks and try to come to something that everybody's going to agree on. And we said, well, we can get on board with that. That sounds like that's how the body of Christ is supposed to work. That's how the church is supposed to work, actually listening to each other and building relationship and working for the good of the whole. So we, we can cultivate that. That's common ground. But then in, as we went through the book, it talked about, it said, you know, the downside of this characteristic is that sometimes Quebecers struggle with, the, with, with conflict, or struggle with um, hashing something out and, and disagreeing or healthy debate. And so they just go, you know, oh, we just, want to, we just want everybody to get along. And so in that desire, sometimes you don't actually really hash out a topic for real and, and get into the real issues. And we said, well, actually, that's, a, that's maybe a bit of a gap in culture. And, and we can create something there. Because the body of Christ, we have, we have clear scriptural guidelines and ways that, that God has shown us of how we handle conflict and how we, we get to the root of an issue and we work something through and we do our best to, to build relationship and to preserve relationship while also holding to the integrity of our faith. And so maybe there's something we can create there and model um, as this is how you have a healthy disagreement. This is how you have a healthy debate. And then number three, the third uh, key that we looked at was non-committal. And, and the phrase that went with that was more talk than action. And we said that this is, this is a, a thing. And we said at first that, you know, sometimes the church, and you'll remember I covered my eyes. I didn't want to make eye contact with anybody, but sometimes the church has consumed this trait. And we talked about, you know, levels of, of volunteering at, at Evangel and levels of giving and commitment. And we talked a little bit about that. And sometimes we, we said, you know, sometimes there's not much difference between the church and the culture. There's a little bit of non-committal, more talk than action. And that's, that's not really a good thing. But then we said, but look at the attention we got when we actually went and did something. And we talked about um, Pokemon Go outreach uh, over a year ago now that happened out on the front steps. And we said, you know, we, we just went to action and we went and did stuff and we gave to stuff. And over and over again, people said to us, I never saw a church like this. 
right? It caught their attention. It stood out in a culture. And we said, you know, there's nothing about our faith or our Christianity that, that says let's be noncommittal or more talk than action. So, so we don't have common ground with that, but we can create something because there's a gap there and we can create something and be known as a church that doesn't just talk about stuff. We do it. And we're committed, and we take action, and we said, imagine if our reputation in Montreal was, when the going gets tough, evangel shows up, right? And we just talked about it, and it was just awesome. And then the fourth key, which was just last week, was a victim mentality, uh, fear of failure. And this was a tough one. Honestly, it was a tough one. And uh, I appreciated those of you that came to me afterwards and said, Patty, thanks for talking about this because we need to talk about this and it's important that we do. We, we talked about um, just this sense of being a victim in Quebec and we, we narrowed it down to and talked about really the, the, the history of our province and, and the resulting fear of a return of religion and that there was good reason for that fear. And we said, you know, we, we need to be able to own some of what happened because terrible things were done to people in the name of Jesus. And it wasn't you and it wasn't me, but we're the ones carrying the name of Jesus now. And so there needs to be just some ownership and some, um, and some saying, you know, I'm so sorry that that happened and, and that was wrong and that doesn't represent God. And, and listen with, with compassion. And we looked at the scripture where Jesus looked at people that had been dominated and abused by religion. And he felt compassion for them because he said they were like sheep without shepherds. We talked about how that similar situation had happened here in Quebec. And so, and so we, we have to have compassion. And Jesus said to his disciples, you know, you need to pray. You need to pray that somebody comes along and does the work of reaching these people. And so they did. And then Jesus said, gotcha, you're the answer to your own prayer. <laughs> And sent them out to, to connect with people and to help them be followers of Jesus. And he does the same thing with us. And we said, well, our response to this with, with um, humility and with respect is our response is we can create a different kind of church than the one that they've known or the one that they think they've known. We can create a church where it's safe to fail. And it's okay to make mistakes. We don't leave we don't leave ourselves there. We challenge and we grow and all of those things. But it's safe to fail and to make a mistake. We, we could be a different kind of church that serves rather than dominates. A church that, that invites rather than compels to, to conform. We can be the kind of church that loves no matter what. How many are tracking with me so far? We're good so far? You ready to go into today's? Today's is going to be fun, Okay. Key number five of the Quebec Code, Quebecers are creative, and they have a head full of ideas, okay? This one's fun. Super creative. Quebecers are tremendously creative. Now, I just thought, I just want to read to you a little bit from, from this book that I've been telling you. It's too long to put on the screen, so I want you to just listen. But, but here's, here's the short form, the summary of how creative Quebecers are. Are you ready? Are you excited? Don't feel like you're ready. Okay, turn the person beside you. Go, are you ready? Elbow them. Go, oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm good. Okay. Okay? Okay. So here we are. Creative, head full of ideas. After it talks about um, Cirque du Soleil. So all these things were made in Quebec. Cirque du Soleil, uh, Bombardier, Desjardins, Jean Coutu, and a whole lot more. Okay? 
Do you know who invented the AM radio, the first telephone handset, the snowblower, the snowmobile, delivery of prepared meals, the airless bottle, pantyhose, the wonder bra, triple therapy for HIV, voice compression for portable telephones, the 3D jigsaw puzzle, the motor wheel, Crocs, sandals, and swine vaccine. That's right. All were invented by Quebecers. That's cool. And did you know that Quebec companies built New York City's subway cars? Quebec companies helped Londoners get rolling on bicycles. Quebec companies lit up Barcelona's iconic Sagrada Familia. Quebec companies run 17 airports in France. And Quebec companies created the screening test for bladder cancer and developed technological systems for the Department of Homeland Security in the United States. Quebec's knowledge and expertise travels around the world. How awesome is that? We live in a phenomenal province. We live in a culture that is incredibly creative and incredibly inventive. Uh, Quebec's artists are recognized all around the world. Quebec is known for its innovation and, and for its inventions. And Quebec creates and produces its own culture. Thank you very much. Because Quebec has a very, very strong sense of identity, and it values that identity, and it exports that identity to the rest of the world. There is no other culture in the world like Quebec. It's awesome. And, and, and one of the things that happens as well with, with Quebec is they're not afraid to mix old with new. Not afraid to sort of just mix the two of them together uh, all willy-nilly. You know, the Cirque du Soleil, of course, which is, which is based in Montreal and started here. And, and their show, which is, which is incredibly um, imaginative and inventive and just, just phenomenal. Every time they start a new show with Cirque du Soleil, you know how they start? You know how they come up with it? They all, they all gather together in the cafeteria because they said, we are reclaiming the old Quebec tradition of having kitchen parties. And so they reclaim this old Quebec tradition of having kitchen parties and end up creating this tremendously creative, never-before-imagined show. It's, it's amazing. Um, the, the Moment Factory, which is here in Montreal and based here, and it's this, it's this uh, uh, company that specializes in creating public digital experiences. You can look it up yourself and, and see what it looks like. But they said, Quebecers, they just know how to work together. Because remember that consensus thing? And so they know how to work together and get something done. And so the Moment Factory said, we're good at bringing people together. We don't like squabbling. And we listen well. And we consider different ideas. We're good at synthesizing and making people happy. And Montreal is at the center of this whole thing. Montreal is even more so than the rest of Quebec when it comes to creativeness and a head full of ideas. So we have Cartier des Spectacles, which is downtown, and this whole neighborhood, this actual neighborhood devoted to supporting the arts and to just celebrating arts and culture. And if you've lived in Montreal your whole life, you think that's normal. It's not normal. It's a, it's a thing that is unique and amazing to Montreal. And then there's, there's this conference called uh, C2 Montreal. And it's an international conference on creativity. And, and they have, this, they have this, this just little goal, just a small one, you know, easily reachable goal. Their goal of uh, C2 Montreal, this international conference, their goal is, is to make, you know, Montreal 
the world capital of creativity. Just this is a little goal, world capital of creativity. And, and then we have the Cartier de l'Innovation, which celebrates technological innovation and new startups. And it's this whole uh, tech startups. And I mean, Google's here. And it's a partnership. The, 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 the Cartier de l'Innovation is a, is a partnership between um, universities and government and businesses. And so if you are in tech or if you are in the arts or if you are into innovation or you are into entrepreneurship, let me just tell you something. Montreal is the place for you. Okay? Montreal is the place for you. Now, let me just walk you through a few quotes uh, from, from this book that we're looking at just to kind of walk you through and unpack this. Uh, Quebecers know how to establish an ideal atmosphere to foster creativity. So, team spirit, openness to new ideas, and a desire for consensus allow the necessary exchanges to take place so that new ideas can come to life. That's good. Team spirit, openness to new ideas, and a desire for consensus. And then it goes on. It says, in Quebec, we are extremely inventive. We have the best engineering firms in the world. I, can I just tell you, I've met more engineers in this church than I have met in my entire life. Okay? Pretty sure you're taking over the world, and you know it. I'm just, just throwing that out there. We have the best engineering firms in the world. We show a ton of creativity, and we find solutions for specific problems. Awesome. But, but, there's always a downside, but the book goes on to say we're only as good as our last creation, okay? Because Quebec's pulp and paper industry was the envy of the entire world due to the quality of its products and its productivity. It had massive exports. A few decades later... There's practically nothing left of that industry. We're only as good as our last creation. And this last thing that I want to say to you is Quebecers' creative strength in all these areas rests on this capacity to renew itself, to stay ahead of global trends, and to reach out into the world. Now, just, just, just rest there for a minute. Let's look at that quote again. Maybe you want to say it with me. And think not only of Quebec, but of the local church that you're part of. Okay? Quebecers' creative strength in all these areas rests on this capacity to what? Renew itself. Stay ahead of global trends. And reach out into the world. Just let that settle. When you compare Quebec to the rest of Canada, to the Anglophone rest of Canada. Can I just tell you, Quebecers are more creative. They're more likely to follow their instincts. They're more inventive than the rest of Canada. More attracted to novelty. Less attracted to tradition, and that's going to matter. And they're more in favor of supporting arts and culture. They're creative with a head full of ideas. Now, what if Jesus was a Quebecer? What, what if Jesus lived in this culture and was trying to go, well, I don't know, what, what do we do? How do we interact? How does our faith interact with that? Okay, let's just think about it. If Paul said, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some, and I do anything, everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Okay, how do we do that? How do we, how do, we do that? How, how, do we, how does an old church survive? Because we're old, 
We're 101 years old here. Oh, how do, how do we survive? How do we, how do we thrive in a culture that's all about new inventions and creativity? What are we going to do? Are you ready? We're already doing it. We're already doing it. Let, let me just tell you a little bit about Evangel. Because for some of us, some of us have been here long enough, this is just the air we breathe. And, and we think it's normal, and we don't even notice it anymore. We don't even know it's there. But let me just tell you how Evangel is already doing it, already connecting and already thriving with a culture that values novelty and values newness. Evangel has a strong sense of identity. We said Quebec has a strong sense of identity, and they create culture, and they export it around the world. Well, we do the same thing. Evangel has a strong sense of identity, Yes. And it has been formed, and it has been reformed, and it has been adapted and updated and exported to our world all around the globe for 101 years. That's pretty good. And then Evangel has also repeatedly demonstrated creativity and efficiency. It's just what we do. We don't, we don't just sit around for the last century plus a year and say, well, you know, I sort of have this creative idea, and gosh, it would be great if somebody would do that. No. We have creative ideas, crazy ideas, and we just go out there and we just, we just do them. We just get it done. And Evangel is not afraid of mixing old and new, just like Quebec. We're not afraid to take the old and, and match it to the new. I mean, I mean, just think about it, okay? We, we practice a faith that is 2,000 years old, over 2,000 years old. We practice a a faith that is over 2,000 years old in a reimagined facility with new lighting and and multimedia and and up-to-date music and incredible sound and technology. I mean, we, we unpack ancient scripture through, through an app on our phones. <laughs> we're not afraid to mix old and new. And, 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 and we're not afraid to just, just bring them together and reach some consensus and work together. And can I just tell you, can I just tell you what Evangel doesn't do, okay? Here's what we don't do. My, my dad, uh, I, I've told you before, my dad was a pastor. He's retired now. And he's given me all kinds of nuggets of wisdom, which I just keep throwing out at you. And one of the things that, that he said to me uh, many, many times as I was growing up, he said, Patty, do you, know, do you know what the last seven words are of a dying church? We've never done it that way before. Okay. Now, some of you are going, is that seven words? Just count it out with me. Hold your hand up. Okay. We've never done it that way before. He said, those are the last seven words of a dying church. Now, here's the good news. Evangel doesn't say that. We don't say that here. I mean, we maybe do a little bit. Every now and then we have our moments, you know, as a church or as individuals. Everybody has a moment where we go, oh, I've never done it that way before. Because change is hard and change is uncomfortable. And, and nobody ever wants it. Adapting to something new means doing something differently. And we liked how it was. And we liked how things were. And, and living on someone else's terms means I got to sacrifice my own personal preferences and the things that I... So there are moments for all of us, for me too. There's moments for all of us when, when we hesitate over the idea of change. And we go, oh, do we really have to change? We've, 
We've never done it that way before. But we don't land there. As a church, we don't, we don't stop there. We don't get stuck in that place. We don't get, we don't get stuck in this place. And, and, and the reason that I know that we don't get stuck, and the reason I know that we don't land on the place of we've never done it that way before, the reason I know that is because, well, we're still here. We're thriving. We're healthy. We're in a culture. Just work with me. We're in a culture that values novelty. We're in a culture that values innovation, that values everything new. Just, just change it all and do all kinds of things. New. And we, an old church that is thriving and healthy and hasn't been turned into condos, okay? An old church, 101 years old, is an anomaly. We shouldn't have made it this long. <laughs> and in Quebec's creative, innovative culture, it seems to me that a church that, that refuses to change or a church that, that stifles creativity, or, or a church that, that doesn't pay attention to global trends, just totally ignores them, or a church that, that doesn't reach outside of itself and isn't open to new ideas, and a church that, that, that doesn't value arts and doesn't value the technology. It seems to me that in Quebec, any church that folds its arms and sits back and goes, well, we've never done it that way before. That kind of church would be in trouble. They, they would be in trouble in Quebec, for sure. But, you know, in the rest of the world as well. You look around North America and Europe, and you'll see all kinds of ancient, beautiful, huge churches that are empty. Because people don't change. Unfortunately, this ain't that kind of church. Okay? Turn, Yeah. Turn to the person beside you and go, this ain't that kind of church. Okay. This, this, is, this is a different kind of church. I mean, this church, we're comfortable with change. Look around you, for goodness sake. Well, this is not the building we started with. This isn't even the property we started with 100 years ago. We were in a different location. This is, this is different. You, this church is quite comfortable with change. You, you reimagined what it could look like and, and uh, this whole new way of doing things, and you understood that tech matters and that creativity matters. And so you said, well, okay, we'll change. And you did it. You did it without having to shut down and start again. Because can I just tell you, you know, the idea of church plants, and I say this with all respect. I do respect and honor for people who are church planters. But, but church plants are, are kind of sometimes the newest thing or maybe the oldest thing. But, and, or so, so starting a new church or, or replanting a church when it has shut down and it's just it died. And then you replant it and you start again. Uh, can I just tell you, my three best pastor friends in Montreal, not counting our staff, my three best pastor friends in Montreal are two planters and a replanter, okay? And so their churches are 14 years old, one year old, and less than one year old. Those are, those are my three pastor friends. And I honor this. I honor them because church planting is hard work. It is not easy to do, and I honor those who do it. Daddy Baker planted this church 101 years ago, and I'm pretty grateful that he did. But, but, there is a reality that in some cases, sometimes it's easier to start a new church than to change an old one. An evangel is different. We've done the hard work of changing. 
We've been through the pain of that. And in a culture that values new, well, we're just 101 years old and still going strong. Thank you very much. And, and, and we're reinventing ourselves again. We're constantly adapting and shifting and changing and going, what do we need to do? To, what do we need to do to reach out? How do we need to shift this? How do we need to change that? Because this, this, this is a church that will do anything, anything to reach people for Jesus. And, and those of you that have been here a long time, can I just talk to you for a minute? Let me talk to those of you that have been here a long time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you the older generation, and I mean that as a fully honoring term, okay? Those of you who've been here a long time, you're nodding, and you're giving me this knowing look and this little smile because you know the work that has been done, and you know the pain of change, and you know the discomfort of adapting, and you're the ones who have adapted the most, and you know what the newbies don't know. (laughs) You know what the younger generation doesn't know yet. They don't know that eventually they're going to have to change too. (laughs) They don't know yet that there's going to come a time when they're going to come to church and the music is not going to be their first choice and they're not going to know how to work the technology and they're going to go, but, but, but we've never done it that way before. (laughs) And when that happens, because it will, when that happens, they're going to remember you. And they're going to remember the generations that went before them and that modeled sacrificial change for them. And that younger generation is going to go, oh, I get it. I understand what they did for me. And they will, hopefully, turn around and do that for somebody else. And they'll turn around and do that for the next generation and they'll sacrifice their own preferences and live on somebody else's terms for the next generation so that somebody can know Jesus. They don't know that yet. Let's not burst their bubble. But we know. Okay? I'm going to ask the worship team to come this morning. And and I'm not going to drop any heavy bombs or anything on you this morning because here's here's what I want to say. Here's Here's what I want to say that really matters to me, okay? I'm proud of you, Evangel. I'm so proud to be your pastor at this stage in our history. At 101 years. When I arrived here, we were coming towards the 100th anniversary. And, and, and we did all that, and we spent a year... Um, celebrating that and going, whoo, isn't this great? We've made it a century. And, and at the end of that, after we all sang happy birthday and happy anniversary to ourselves, we, okay, we're 100 years. Then we looked at each other and said, well, now what? What do we do now? And we chose as a church not to be just a 101-year-old church that goes, well, I guess we made it. And I guess we'll just, we'll just maintain and we'll just keep doing what we've been doing all this time and never changing it. No, we decided after the 100th anniversary, we decided as a church, well, let's just jump in again. And let's just jump into year one of the next 100 years with renewed passion and creativity and determination to help people meet Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? I want you to stand up. And I want you to do something tremendously unspiritual. 
I need to high five the person beside you and go, this is one fantastic church. Tell them. Then tell the person on the other side, this is one fantastic church. Okay, and then high five it in one other direction. And then we're going to celebrate a little, okay? And we're going to thank God for being so good and bringing us this far. This is one fantastic church evangelist.